Shall we turn again to that portion of scripture that we read together in the book of Gospel of John, uh, chapter 19, reading at verse 25. Reading at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Particularly the words from the middle of verse 26 to the middle of verse verse 27. He being Jesus said to his mother, Behold thy son. Then Jesus said to his disciple, Behold thy mother. I'm sure if I was to ask you all to raise your hands... Do you raise your hands if you had a favourite text in the Bible that was brought you so much joy and comfort? You would all put up your hands, whether you were a Christian or not, from the youngest to the oldest. But I don't know if any of you are like me, who have not just one favourite text, but multitudes of them. In fact, I would go as far as to say that for me, I have favourite texts for every month of the year. For every specific date in my calendar year, I have a favourite text that I find myself meditating upon. Be it Christmas, be it Easter, be it my birthday, be it my anniversary, be it Father's Day, and other specific dates in the calendar year for me. This wasn't the text I was going to preach on until the middle of the week. As I was found myself thinking more and more on this text, and rightly or wrongly, it was because the next specific date in my calendar year falls in place two weeks today, on Mother's Day. And I have to watch what I say because I'm now 50 years of age and I'm still blessed to have my mother and father still alive and living beside me. And I'm still blessed to have my wife and my kids living with me. And there are many here and listening online and that situation has changed even from last year. But I do hope and pray that And what we look at tonight, that we will find something that will show us and we may be able to carry on to Mother's Day, to reveal to us something of the relationship that Christ had with his mother. So we shall look at the title of the service tonight will be Our Saviour's Third Saying on the Cross. And we shall look at it under two headings, Mary's Grief for Her Son, And secondly, Jesus' love for his mother. Mary's grief 
for our sin. It's interesting that all four Gospels have an account of the women that are mentioned here at the cross. But the Gospel of John is the only Gospel that makes specific mention of the Mother of Christ being there. Mary is somebody that is very rarely mentioned in Scripture. Not somebody that we hear many sermons on. And even in the Gospel according to John, the first time that we read of Mary is in John chapter 2 in the first 11 verses where we read of Christ's first miracle at the wedding feast in Cana. And then we have to jump forward another 17 verses before we find Mary mentioned again in chapter 19. And so you have Mary portrayed in a place where there is much joy and happiness. And then the next mention of her her is when she is witnessing her own son dying on the cross. Mary's not mentioned in the Gospel of John like the other Gospels with regard to his birth. That's not mentioned in this account in John. In fact, John, in John's writing, you will find some things that might seem a bit hidden. Because when you go through the Gospel of John, you won't find any mention of the name of Christ's mother by name. Neither in the entire Gospel of John will you find any mention of the other sons that Mary had as it were, the half-brothers of Christ. Neither either in the whole Gospel of John will you find John naming himself. Even when we read in verse 26, the disciple standing by whom Jesus loved, John does not say, this is me, this is I. He names nameless. That seems to be the way that John knows in his writings with regard to family the family of Christ. So let's speak a little bit about these four women first. We see that two of them are named and two of them are unnamed. So let's name the unnamed. They're stood by the cross, the mother, Jesus, his mother, the cross of Jesus, his mother. Well, we know who that is straight away. We know that is Mary. But then we read of another woman who was Christ's mother's sister. And she's a very interesting person. She is nameless here, but her name is Salome. And this woman, Salome, we can read a little bit about her in Matthew chapter 27. She's married to Zebedee. And she is blessed with a family, James and John, who will later become two of Christ's disciples. However, what we might not be so known about Salome is that she is a woman who has been rebuked by the Lord. In the Gospel according to Matthew, And um, chapter 20, 
if I can find it here, Matthew chapter 20. We read in verse 20, Then there came to then came, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and deciding a certain thing of him. And Christ said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said, Grant that these two sons may sit, one at thy right hand and one on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. This is Salome wanting the very best for her boys. And Christ rebukes her. And yet, despite the fact that Christ rebukes her, she is one of the four women that are mentioned here at the cross. I wonder what's going through her mind as she now looks at Christ being crucified. Well, I'll tell you this. Her very presence at the cross is wonderful. Her very presence at the cross says everything we need to know about her. This woman, Salome, has long since accepted the rebuke of Christ. This woman has accepted that she was wrong. She has learned from it. And now she stands in humility, in support of her saviour, in support of her sister. And she is one of the four at the cross. A rebuke Jodo touched on this in the morning. And I think if I remember right, he mentioned that sometimes when he gets a rebuke that he can dig his heels in. Well, this guy certainly can too. A rebuke isn't an easy thing to take. Many's a lifelong friendship has ended with a rebuke. I'm sure everybody in here can think of somebody that you've had to rebuke for something. And either the friendship has ended or the friendship is just simply not the same. Or maybe there's somebody in here that got a rebuke from somebody. And years later, we know that that person was right, but we still haven't accepted and gone to that person and said we were wrong. But you see, that's not the way Christ was. When Christ was able to give a rebuke to somebody, isn't it amazing to think and to understand that he could rebuke somebody in such a way that his love still shone through his rebuke? Unlike you and me, where it festers and festers. Salome's presence at the cross is a lesson to each and every single one of us today, both how to give and how to receive a rebuke. And there's a lesson in that for every single one of us. And I think it's wonderful that we can read that somebody like this was at the cross. Why these four women are there isn't revealed to us. But we can safely assume that all four women were there because they had a unique personal relationship with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And then you have the two that are named. You have Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Well, I can't tell you anything about her other than what her name was and who she was married to. 
As far as I can see, this is the only mention of this woman in the New Testament, but yet she is there. But the other woman, you would almost expect her to be there, Mary Magdalene. If there was one woman that you would have expected to be there with the mother of our Saviour, would it not be Mary Magdalene? She is there at the foot of the cross and she is there when Christ is resurrected from the grave. The Gospel of Mark chapter 16 and in verse 9. This is what we read. And when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. See, here was a woman who never ever forgot what Jesus had done for her. Here was a woman whose life had been so completely transformed that nothing mattered to her but Christ. And she is there at the cross. What faithfulness these women have. What courage these women have. It's remarkable the affection that they show for Christ. Who are the people you would expect to have been there? Would you not have expected the the disciples to have been there? But they've all forsaken Christ at the point of his arrest. They've all shot off. They've all gone in fear of their lives. Although John does return when he sees the error of his ways. Five people there at the cross. Four men, four women, one man. And yet these women, when you picture the scene, if you can close your eyes, if you can picture a little bit of what they are seeing, what they are hearing. As the screams, as the shouts, as the mocking, as the swearing of our Saviour, as he was spat upon, as the full wrath of hell itself was spewing out upon Christ on the cross, there are these women to see this taking place. And yet they stand, and they are not deterred by the fury of the mocking crowd, or the horrific sight that they are seeing. In Christ being crucified. How helpless they must have been. They couldn't go and help Christ. They could just watch. They couldn't go and ease his pain. There was nothing that they could do for him. But yet we would believe that they were such an encouragement. Surely. For our Saviour. As he nears death. These faithful women, they're an example to you and I of our need to never ever be ashamed of Jesus Christ, a saviour and as friend. And amazingly, and I don't mean to sound old-fashioned in any way, but and I certainly don't mean to sound sexist in any way, but you would almost expect to read that they were fainting, that they were somehow hysterical. But these women are self-controlled and calm at the cross of Christ. How can that be? Nothing other than the divine grace was supporting these women at this time. 
the Lord on high, especially Mary, the mother of our Lord. Now I don't need to tell you and I who are here and listening on Zoom and have been blessed with children. I don't need to tell you how upset we get as parents if a child gets a bad cut, breaks a bone, has a bad injury, needs an operation. It takes its toll upon us as parents. But oh my word, you don't find Mary here shaking her fist and saying, this is unjust, this is not fair, this is not right. She is silent. She has been told by Christ that this day is coming. And she has long since accepted this day. And I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself. I've certainly thought of this. That if anybody had the power maybe to save Christ from crucifixion. Perhaps it was Mary. Perhaps if she had only gone to Pilate and said, I know who this is and this is my son. I wonder if she had dared to lie and say everything that he is saying is a lie in order to protect him so he wouldn't have to die. But yet she doesn't even think of going down that line. I wonder if you and I would be willing to say a lie if it meant that one of our children was not put to death. What a testimony this woman is of the deity of Christ. What a testimony this woman has of who she is and who Christ is. It's remarkable. And try and picture her thoughts. Try and picture what she's going through. Try and picture what she's seen. There on the cross hangs her child. There on the cross hangs her miracle child. Crucified. And I might have said this the last time I was here and if I did, well, I'm sorry, but I'll say it again. But you have to remember That when you think upon your Saviour, Jesus Christ, as you may see in a picture with a trickle of blood on his head and a trickle of blood on his hands and on his feet, that is not Christ. The Christ that you and I love was mutilated at Calvary. His flesh was ripped from his bones. There was blood coming from every part of his body. Dare I say he was a blooded mess on Calvary. He barely resembled a human being. And yet this is Mary's son. And she stands. Though she is broken. This mother who once kissed the brows of this little boy of her son. Now he sees the brows with a crown of thorns on on his head. This mother that once encouraged her child to walk and move move his hands. Now he sees nails piercing his hands and feet. 
That is what she is seeing. Broken in silence. What piercing of soul must have been her experience at that moment. When she sees her son, her miracle son, being persecuted, being tortured, being persecuted by the Romans, being persecuted by his own Jewish nation for being an imposter. And she knows that even all those that were closest to him for these three ministry years, they've all gone, except John, who has now come back. How must that woman have felt? As Christ is being tortured on the cross, so Mary is being cross-tortured too in her soul. And so we ask the question, do we dare ask the question, did ever a mother suffer like Mary with what she is seeing taking place at Calvary? Yet remarkably we read, there stood by the cross. Mary must have realised the truthfulness in that moment in time of Simeon's prophecy. That prophecy that we read of in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 where we read where we read in verses 34 and 35 And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother Behold the child is set for the fall and raising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall yet be spoken against yea soul shall pierce through thine own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed this is something that was told to her was going to happen in accordance with the requirements of the Mosianic law where in the days of Christ when he was a child parents would bring a child to the temple to present him to the Lord. And this is the news that awaited Mary from Simeon. A sword truly did pierce her soul that day. And Jesus knew it. And she knew it. She must have been prepared for many a struggle as a mother of Christ. But what on earth could possibly have prepared her? for what she is seeing just now. And this only adds to the suffering of Christ when he is looking and seeing his mother suffering. We have no comprehension of what our Lord and Saviour went through in mind and in body on Calvary's cross. But yet isn't it remarkable that this the third saying on the cross, here what you see is Christ in his, first, in his first words on the cross, his mention is to everybody who are found there, to those that are driving the nails through his hands, through those that are mocking him, through those that are spitting in him. Father, forgive them. His prayer. And then we find that in the second saying, his prayer turns to a promise. When he says to the thief on the cross, thou shalt be with me today at paradise. And then the third saying, 
It's about providing and caring for his mother. That shows you the kind of person, the kind of saviour that you and I worship tonight. In the awfulness of his body and mind, Jesus doesn't forget his mother as he nears death. And at Calvary, nobody knows that Mary's heart is right. Nobody knows, except for one. One person knows the Christ who on the cross is gazing at his mother's eyes and recognising there the eyes that she first saw when he entered into this world. And now he looks at his mother with heavenly love and he is now about to make a provision for her as he looks and as he seeks and as he sees the grief that Mary has for her son. And we shall now look at the second heading Christ's love for his mother. He knows that as holy as she is, that she is hurting deeply. He is only too well aware of that. The bonds of a mother's love were dear to the human heart of our Saviour. And Jesus commends his mother at this time into the protection of John. The disciple whom he loved. The disciple that is found gathered here. What for what an amazing thing it is. How little Christ thinks of himself while he has been crucified. All he is doing is thinking of others. And this, my friends, is where we differ from the teaching of Mary worship. And I'm not going to stand here and criticise other faiths. But here we see in this portion of scripture that we see Mary as somebody who is requiring protection and seeing somebody that the Lord in his mercy is providing care and compassion for. Mary was never meant to be honoured as divine. Mary was never meant to be worshipped to or prayed to. But it's only right that we recognise her for who she is. The gaze of Christ now shifts upon his mother and the gaze of Christ is now upon John. And it's remarkable when you read this. As he looks upon John, who has just come back after fleeing and forsaking Christ. It's remarkable that we don't read anything here of a rebuke from Christ. Instead, what we find is by grace he gives John the incredible privilege of looking after his mother. Does this not fill our heart with joy to know that even in his final stages in life, Christ offered somebody who was backslidden, who had backslidden, He didn't come in wrath. He came in love. Does this not fill our hearts with hope when we take our eyes off the cross and when we backslide that the Lord will still never let go of us as his own people? 
what an encouragement that is for all of us who have done wrong in the life of Greece. I wonder why it is that it's recorded in Scripture that he gave John this responsibility. It's interesting to read that there is no mention of Joseph here, the husband of Mary. There's no mention of Joseph since Luke chapter 2, when Christ was 12 years old. There's no mention of Joseph at the wedding of Canaan. There's no mention of Joseph in the public ministry of Jesus. Most commentators will tell us and are of the opinion that Joseph had died at this point. That Joseph had died and gone to glory before the public ministry of Christ began. And the other brothers, the other sons that Mary had, James and John, they could not take upon themselves this responsibility. Because at this moment in time, they are not believers of Christ as the Messiah. It is after Christ rises from the dead and is ascended that they believe that Christ is the Messiah. At this moment in time, they look upon Christ like the other Jewish people at that time as an imposter. And so this privilege falls upon John, the disciple whom he loved, the one that Christ looked upon as the most tender-hearted of all that was near and dear to him. Despite his failings, despite his faults, And of course, as Mary and as Salome, there was a blood connection. So too, there would be a blood connection of sorts with John and Christ. And where better for, her, for Mary to be than with her sister and her son in the midst of this time when, her, when Christ the Saviour has died? We read in scripture that Christ says to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now, as I've said earlier, I'm 50 now, still blessed with my mother. I would never call my mother woman. It seems so disrespectful, it seems so harsh and unloving. I would call her mum or mum. To my shame, there were many times I would have called her the old lady. Don't call your mother that, children. But Christ calls her woman. But if you came into my house and my mother was there, and if you heard me saying to my mother, woman, come here, you'd be disgusted in me. But not so in Christ. Because this was not a word of disrespect from the words of, from the lips of Christ. To have called her mother would simply have added to her grief. To have called her mother would have pointed at her out in the midst of an angry crowd. <clears throat> 
to have called her mother would I have identified her and she too would experience the wrath that he was experiencing. You see, even in death, he is seeking to protect his mother from the wrath of an angry crowd, from mockery and from persecution. That is the type of saviour that we have. But even more importantly, it's almost as if Christ is saying to her and calling her woman, it's almost as if he's saying to her, the time is coming where our earthly connection must come to an end. And where for you and I there must be a heavenly connection. It's almost as if the Lord is saying to her, the time is coming where you will no longer be my mother, but you will be like all the others that my blood must cleanse, sisters and brothers in Christ, children of the living God. What a privilege she had in being the mother of Christ. But now that changes. And even the mother of Christ needs forgiveness for her sins. And Christ dies for her sins to be forgiven at Calvary in exactly the same way as he dies for your sins and my sins to be forgiven. Here in the Isle of Lewis. And where we read of Christ saying to John, Behold thy mother, behold thy son. Where he said to his mother, rather, Behold thy son. He is not speaking of himself he's speaking to his mother to in with regard to John. And a new relationship is now starting to form here by the grace of God. Isn't it remarkable that there's a new relationship between a beloved mother and a beloved disciple? And the two are going to be there to comfort one another. Here now we see Christ the perfect man, man setting up the perfect example in how to honour your parents in this world. How to honour your mother. That is what he is doing here. An example for us all as children. Is that not what was revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 20? One of the 10 commandments. Honour thy father and thy mother. The fifth commandment. That's what our Lord is doing here. Behold thy mother. Christ is saying to John, love her like you loved me. Let the love that you have for me bestowed upon her. And it's remarkable that this was no burden at all to John. And notice there's a double reward in this for John. There's always a double reward with Christ. There's always multitudes of rewards with Christ. 
Christ is now, John is now going to have a new nearness with this Lord and with his Saviour, with this new relationship that he's going to have with Mary. And forevermore, John will have Mary as a reminder to him of the gift that the Lord bestowed upon him, of the privilege because of his faith. This was a reward from the Lord given to John. Well, our time is just about gone. From that hour we read in Scripture that John abides with Mary. It's remarkable, isn't it? How Christ looks after his own. What a son was Jesus to his heavenly father. What a son was Jesus to his earthly mother. What a saviour he is to lost sinners. Do you not see tonight that Christ is willing to do for you and I what he did for his mother if we place our trust in him? Mary is worshipping in glory just now. Not because she gave birth to Christ but because of her faith in Christ. That is why I began with reading Psalm 23. Because being a Christian, as I've said, is not just about the reward of glory. It's about the reward of being kept in this world. That's why you find in that blessed Psalm we read of Christ leading, of Christ guiding, and of a Christ in goodness and mercy that he will guide us home. When I first became a Christian over 30 years ago, there were blessed days when every time you came out of the prayer meeting, you would walk straight into somebody's home from our fellowship after the prayer meeting. And we went to this elder's house this night. And I heard him say, you know, when I think of the wonder of grace, It's not so much the fact that I'm going to heaven at the end of life's journey that amazes me now. It's about how the Lord has kept me since I became one of his believing people. And I thought to myself in my ignorance, well, that's just an awful thing to say. What on earth could be, what on earth could be more wonderful than being in heaven? But 30 years down the line, you can understand what he is saying. The thief on the cross got his reward in his dying breaths. He got to heaven. But he didn't get to experience the Lord's leading and the Lord's guiding and the Lord's protection and the Lord's care in this world. And that is what the Lord is giving to you and I. And then the best is yet to come in glory. But my friends, don't put off believing in Christ as Saviour and friend until a later day. 
because you're missing out on such a privilege in walking with the Lord every day. That is why we're going to sing out and finish tonight with how great thou art. Because words cannot express truly how great he is. What an amazing way to begin worship singing Psalm 23. What an amazing way to end tonight singing how great thou art. What amazing words to sing at the start and at the end of a sermon. But my friends, what are they singing in glory just now? If Psalm 23 and if how great thou art can mean so much to us here in this world, what must the praise of glory be like for all those who have gone home? Surely at the end of life's journey, that's where you want to be found. My hope and prayer is that as we part from one another here tonight, that by faith we would all honour the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives in this world. And if we do that, he will honour us throughout the endless ages of eternity and glory. May that be the experience of each and every single one of us, not just some of us, but all of us in here tonight. Amen. May the Lord bless to us these thoughts.